Scott Adams has a humorous take on life in the workplace in his comic strip character Delbert. Uh, Delbert has uh, seven guiding principles for the workplace, seven core principles for, by which he lives in, in the workplace environment. One, don't be irreplaceable. If you can't be replaced, you can't be promoted. Two, when you don't know what to do, walk fast and look worried. I see a few people taking notes here. <laughs> Three, everything can be filed under miscellaneous. It's true. Four, if you're good, you will be assigned all the work. If you're really good, you'll get out of it. Five, if it wasn't for the last minute, nothing would get done. Six, keep your boss's boss off your boss's back. And seven, eat one live toad first thing in the morning, and nothing worse will happen to, happen to you the rest of the day. We all have principles we live by, don't we? Uh, principles that set the direction uh, of our lives, that, that determine who we are as individuals. The difference here is that uh, Dilbert is a fictional character. You and I are not. What he does in the fictional realm is inconsequential. What you and I do in the real world has real-world consequences. And those largely play out in our relationships. Listen to that again. What you and I do in the real world has real-world consequences, relational consequences. What we do here and now determines the directions that our relationships take. So at the outset, let me ask you, what is it that, that defines you as a person? What uh, principles decide your character and determine your actions? John has been giving us principles for life, principles for an, an active and living faith, a, a fully functioning faith. In fact, this is where John left us last time, uh, looking at the, the relationships that determine our lives. This week's context furthers this thought in, in what way does our relationship with the Lord the principles of his family determine who we are. In this passage, we see how it's all defined by love. John speaks of love in, in two ways. 
First love is sacrificial. It always gives its best to others. Matt spent quite a bit of time in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He had it mapped out, but when he got to preaching it, he discovered, I need more time here. So we had quite a few sermons in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul spelled out love from any number of directions. But his statements all boil down to one thought. Godly love is not self-centered. It, it is not a me-centered kind of love. There's a difference between godly love and human love. Godly love gives of itself for others. You want any example? It's right here, verse 16, the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 16 by this we know love. You, you want a definition, definition of love? The world continues to try to define love. Well, here it is. John, under the inspired hand of God. By this we know love, that he, Jesus Christ, lay down his life for us. That's the example. Straight from the heart of God. But it's more than an example. It has ramifications. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, the ramifications, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Love is not the empty lip service that so many of us think it is. It's not uh, the, the, the warm fuzzies, the, the, the emotional gush that so many of us think it is. Glance back at verse 18. Little children. John, throughout this book, wants these people reassured that he loves them, doesn't he? That's the reason he says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this, we, should, we know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Isn't it interesting, the, the assertion of that last statement? You're not always going to feel good about what godly love demands. Godly love demands what is right, not what our, our passions desire. That's a revelation that ought to rattle the populist view of love right out of existence, isn't it? You won't always feel good about what love expects of you. How divergent this is from the, the world's expectation where love is all about how I feel. Look back at the example, the cross, the crucifixion. Jesus sacrificing himself on that cross. God's love was clearly demonstrated and extremely costly. It didn't feel good about what it was doing. 
But it did it anyway because it was the right thing to do. Are you reminded of Jesus in the garden where he sweat great drops of blood as he prayed? Do you remember what he said? My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Not my will, but as you will. Love is not always fun. There are times when it doesn't feel good about what it's doing, but it, but it does it anyway because it's the right thing to do. And then there's the question, was it the kind of love we would have wanted? The kind of love we, we would have preferred? Probably not. Our preference would have been a little dose of religion. We show up at church and say hi to a few people. That's the kind of love we would have preferred. A little dose of religion. By the way, Satan doesn't care if you go to church. He doesn't care if you read the Bible. So long as you don't apply it to your life. God's love is not a little dose of religion. It's active and it is rooted in his unbending, absolute righteous truth. The two can't be separated. Don't miss the word truth. John doesn't. It's woven throughout this book. We've seen it again and again and again throughout this book. Truth. God's love isn't a blank check for whatever it is that suits our fancy. Why? If God is a God of love, I can, I can do as I like. I, I can believe anything I want to believe. If he's a God of love, he's going to have to accept me the way I am. That's what love is. No, God's love isn't a blank check. It's not based on our lives or our whimsy. We're not left with account, without accountability. God's love is based on what is right, what is true, regardless of what we think or what we want. Vernon Grounds, the first professor of Denver Seminary, said something that has stuck with me. He said, apart from Calvary, there is no convincing evidence to support the New Testament claim that God is love. Think that through. Apart from the cross, apart from the crucifixion, we have no real claim, no real evidence to support the New Testament claim that God is love. And that's exactly what John says here, isn't it? Verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. The Father loved us enough to send the Son, and the Son loved us enough to go to the cross. It may not be what we want or what we like. We really don't want anybody, God included, monkeying around with, with our lives and our sin. We like our sin. With the truth be known, we like our sin. We like the way we are. But Jesus on the cross did exactly what we as sinners needed. Society finds love like this obnoxious, untenable, 
unacceptable. The common view of love is we ought to get what we want when we want it, how we want it. One pastor recalled a man and his shattered wife sitting in his office. The husband exclaimed, why are you getting so upset with me? What's, what's the big deal? All I did was have an affair. All I did was have an affair? Really? What about the betrayal, the dishonesty, the deceit? What about issues like trust and fidelity? What about honor and integrity? Little used precepts in our world today, aren't they? Why? Because our world hasn't the faintest idea what true love is. It wants what it wants, and that's all there is to it. Let me remind you once again of John's purpose in, in writing this letter. The truth of God leads to true fellowship, a true relationship with him. The true gospel leads to what is, what is right and true in, in our relationships. Why? Because it's driven out of true love. A woman told her pastor, I can't understand why he left me. So what if I refuse to get married? It, it, it's my choice. I gave him everything he wanted anyway. We, we had a, a good life just living together. Why mess it up with marriage? This gal was living with this guy. Do you, do you see something wrong here? I have news for you. Most people in the United States don't. More people are living together outside marriage than are now in marriage. She refused to get married, but was embittered when this man didn't treat it as marriage. She wanted all the blessings of marriage with, without any of the requirements, and guess what? That's what she got. Verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. John gives us a second example here too, verse 11. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. Now, now wait a minute, this isn't something new? This isn't a new truth? No, it's a message. From back to the cross? Well, yes, but guess what? Further back from there, we're going to see how far back it goes. Why does John have to tell these people this message if it is that old? Because like you and me, we don't listen a lot of times to the words of the gospel, to the words of truth, to life-changing things we ought to listen to. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain. So it goes clear back there. Who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life 
abiding in him. Sin took hold of us at the fall, just one generation before Cain and Abel. And look at the ramifications it's already produced. Look at what it's done. We want what we want because our sin nature says we ought to get it. Cain knew the sacrifice he should bring, but, but instead he brought a sacrifice that voiced his, his own passions and his own self-sufficiency. He, he, he brought vegetables that he had raised. Look at what I've done, God. Look at what I've brought you. I did this. Abel humbly brought the sacrifice that was prescribed a sacrificial lamb. Cain, driven by pride, was hurt, and he, he, he seethed with anger. Sadly, instead of correcting the problem, instead of doing what was right, what was loving, he took his rage out on his brother, a totally innocent party in this whole event. By the way, in case you haven't caught it, this is you and me when we don't love with a godly love. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? Yes, it's you and me in fleshly love. It shows how we generally act when, generally react when we don't get our way. We get angry, we get, we get negative, we get critical, we get, we get offensive. And in the process, it kills relationships. Believer, John tells us to love one another. As Jesus loved us, sacrificially giving yourself in truth, doing what is right for others. This is the first aspect of love. I said there were two. The second one, the second aspect of love. Godly love is always obedient. Isn't that great? It's always obedient. Would you connect obedience with love? And yet, John does here, true love is always obedient because true love knows what is right and seeks to do it. You see, it's not the knowledge you absorb. It's the knowledge you apply that makes the difference in your life. Look at verse 18. This, this is it. We've Little children, let us not love in word or in, in talk, but in deed and in truth. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Move down to verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And uh, whatever we ask, we shall receive from him. Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Did you hear that? This is the application of the truth. It's not what we absorb, it's what we apply. Verse 23. And this is his commandment. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commands... Uh, abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. 
If anything aggravates our culture, it's words like obedience. Words like submission. Words like saved. I remember before I was a believer how that word saved used to annoy me to no end. How can you know you're saved until you get there? Well, John's talking about it, isn't he? These are all solidly biblical words, solidly biblical precepts. In our I'll-do-it-my-way world, such expectations clang with a, a, a vulgar ring. And yet, as a believer, your life in Christ is defined precisely by principles like this. Each and every believer is to demonstrate true love publicly, relationally. How? Sacrificially in truth, and now, as we see, obediently. Brother commented St. Francis to one of the young monks at the monastery, let us go down to the town and preach. The novice was uh, excited at being singled out to be the companion of, of Francis. So Francis and this young man entered the town, uh, Assisi. They made their way along the passages into the, into the center court and, and then off into the alleys and, and the smaller byways uh, of the city of Assisi. At length, uh, they turned back towards the monastery gate. And this young novice uh, reminded Francis of his original intentions. He said, have you forgotten that we went down to the town to preach? My son, Francis, replied, we have preached. We were preaching while we were walking. We have been seen by man. Our behavior has been closely watched. It was thus that we preached our morning sermon. It is of no use, my son, to walk anywhere to preach unless we preach everywhere as we walk. St. Francis realized that somewhere as he grew in his faith, as he, he, he looked at God's word, as he, he put it into his life, that actions speak louder than words. True love is always sacrificial, and true love is always obedient. You see, ask yourself a question. Are you a person of love? Does love scream out of your lifestyle? What does your lifestyle say about you, about your relationship with those around you, about your relationship with the Lord? Are you a, a person of love, true love, godly love? What does your lifestyle say about you? In this context where love is shown to be obedient, John uses a word repeatedly through this text, the word command or, or some form of it. You've probably already noticed it, though, I'm sure. How could you miss it? Verse 23, and this is his command that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded. 
You can boil Christianity down into that twofold command. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and love one another. That's the command for you and me. That's how we, we show love. Your relationship with God and your relationship with each other are, are interlinked. We uh, move closer to God. And as we do, we move closer to each other. Now we're, we're spread apart by sin. We're all distanced. That's the gift of sin. But as we grow in our faith, we get closer and closer to one another. Now, the opposite is true. If you're moving away from God, you're also moving further away from those who are moving closer to God. Both aspects depend on what you do with the redeeming work of the cross. Faith is redemptive. Logically, it follows that, that love is also redemptive. Love will work salvation's wonders and, and move us ever closer in our, our relationship. It'll move us from the, the pit of hell to the doorstep of heaven as we move closer and closer to God. You want healthy, viable relationships? You want heaven in your home? You want your workplace changed by the truth of God? By what a living relationship with God is all about? Well, it takes true love. Love that is obedient. Love that is sacrificial. Love that does what is right. Love that is redemptive. Love that is bolstered by God's truth. So let me ask you pointedly. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you accepted him as your personal Lord and Savior? Not just a head knowledge, but something that resides in your life as you live it. You've realized your need for Jesus. You've realized that you're a sinner, and apart from Jesus Christ, there is no hope. Let me ask you pointedly, have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? John's letter is largely to the church. It's largely to believers. It's largely to correct problems that we have. But this does apply to non-believers, doesn't it? Accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. That's what, that's what the text says. I hope you don't leave this morning. If you're here without Jesus Christ, I hope you don't leave this morning without talking to uh, Paul or Jill, me or Kathy, Mike or Beth. Somebody. Talk to them. And receive Jesus Christ. God's love defines his people. It sets us apart from the rest of the crowd. It determines what we do and how we do it. The sum total of our faith. The, the, the whole of our faith. Now, I've never been to New Jersey. 
I know it's called the Garden State, but I don't know. I'm a Wyoming boy, and I don't like little states. <laughs> anyway, this newspaper in New Jersey, the Virgin Record, told how that the, the world-famous zoo in Copenhagen put a human couple on display. Heinrich Lehmann and uh, Maylene Botoff were put in a see-through cage uh, in, in the primate area of the zoo, the, the primate display uh, right next to the baboons and, and the monkeys. Their 320-square-foot habitat contained a living room with furniture, a computer, a television, and a stereo. The kitchen and the bedroom were also a part of the display. The only room that wasn't a part of the display was uh, the bathroom. Mr. Lehman said, uh, we don't notice visitors anymore. If they want to pick my nose or my toes, I do it. I'm probably going to get scolded by my wife for this, but that's what the report said. You and I in Jesus Christ may not be on display like this couple was in this zoo, but the fact is we are on display, aren't we? We might as well be. Others are watching, and in a sense, they're, they're taking notes. They're observing who we are and what makes us tick. And they're asking, is there a difference? True love presupposes living for the Lord. It expects that we live sacrificially and obediently as an example of him before those around us. You and I, the people of God, are to be defined by true love. His love at work in our lives, it sets us apart from the world in such a way that others see the difference clearly, the difference our faith makes. Bow with me. Father, we have heard this old message Chances are we've heard it a number of times and we've missed it. What it means, what it does, the difference it makes. Father, I pray today that you would drive this message into our hearts. That you would use it to change us for your glory. And Father, I bring those who may not know you uh, today uh, to you in prayer as well. I pray they would place their faith in your son and that he would work in their lives to that end. Father, I, I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.